everyone. This is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime suspense and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service. You're in complete control of your own podcast. You can run it from your own website. And it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone. So you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi again, everyone. Today I have as my guest the author of a series of thrillers featuring a New York City detective, Lieutenant John Driscoll. His work has been translated for publication in at least six, six countries outside the U.S. He's also a native New Yorker, so that's a plus because so am I. <laughs> uh, I'm pleased to have with me today Thomas O'Callaghan. Hi, Thomas. Hello, I'm so Debbie. glad you're here today. Yeah, nice to be here. Very nice to be here. Awesome. I love your bookshelf there in the background. That's Thank you so very much. And beautiful. <laughs> I wish my shelves were so beautiful. Thank um, you. What prompted you to write uh, this series? Interesting question. Um, I, I never thought of writing. Um, in college, I studied uh, history and planned on uh, perhaps going to law school. And in... Um, after that, I, I began working for an insurance company, Allstate Insurance Company, and I had a pretty good career with them, um, sales agent, and everything was was going well, and I, I figured I'd uh, retire as a sales agent, only I didn't think I'd retire at the age of 49. They uh, they changed their uh, the way they, they paid us, and um, if I wanted to stay on, it meant I was no longer an employee, but I was uh, a franchise agent and I had to pay for secretarial help and uh, other support staff and whatnot. So the option was to sell my book of business and leave or retire or stay on as a franchise. So I sold my book of business and that carried me for about three years. But at age 49, I, I, I needed something to do. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine um, who had a similar circumstance. And she asked me, what did I like to do? You know, if, if you're going to have a second career, it might be something you might like doing. And I said, well, I, I like to take photographs. And this was before the advent of the old iPhone. I had an old 35 millimeter camera. And I went out and I, I snapped some pictures. I lived near the park, Prospect Park in Brooklyn at the time. 
and I snapped some pictures and I enjoyed it. And um, it, the enthusiasm waned after about a month. And, and I said to her, I said, well, it's, it's not a career choice. Um, and she said, well, what else do you like to do? And I said, well, uh, to be honest with you, I always thought I'd be a, be an actor. I wanted to be a thespian. I was in high school and in college. I performed in uh, theater groups and I did some off-Broadway shows. And I said, that, that's what I'd like to do. So she recommended I go down and have some training because it'd been a while. And I went to HB Studios down in Manhattan. And that was fun. Uh, two months uh, working with a group of uh, other actors and some professional trainers and I enjoyed it very much, but again, it waned. And um, I then went back to my, my, uh, my faithful friend and said, well, where to now? And she said, well, what else do you like to do in your spare time? I said, well, I like to read. And she said, well, what do you read? And I said, well, I, I like to read um, murder mysteries, police procedurals, thrillers. And she said, well, why don't you write one? And I said, write one? I, I, I wouldn't know how to write one. And she said, well, you've done a lot of reading. You probably picked up the knack somewhere. You, you maybe developed a voice. Why don't you try to write? And um, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And the last thing you want to hear when you're a new writer is that someone's going to actually see it. You know, and I, learned, I learned something along the way that it's important to write like no one's ever going to read it um, because you don't need that critic that's inside your head as you type that says, you know, this isn't good. Someone's going to take issue with it or, wow, what would my mom say? You know, that kind of stuff. So I just threw caution to the wind and I began to write like no one was ever going to read it. Only this close friend. And I wrote a, an opening chapter of, um, of a book involving a, 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 a crazed serial killer and, uh, in a, and, and the introduction of, of a police team that, that, that would be called in to capture this individual. And she read it and she said, you know, I liked it. What's your next chapter about? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I hadn't planned on that. And she said, well, you write another chapter. And after writing about eight chapters, all typed out, um, and after her reviewing, she said, you know, I, I think you've got something here. And I suggest you see a friend of mine who is a psychotherapist, um, but he also um, teaches the art of writing or he, or he taught the art of writing years ago in Paris. And I said, okay. And I set up appointments um, with this individual, a fellow by the name of uh, um, Stephen O'Hayan, who still is a psychotherapist in Manhattan. And between his patients, he would see me as a as a budding novelist and I would bring him uh, a chapter and um, we would edit it. He would help me as a writing coach, push it and get it better and better and better. And that continued for, a, for an appreciable amount of time till I finished what would be eventually book one in this trilogy. And then we went on to book two. Um, so that was it, it was an introduction to to get into something I enjoyed doing. And um, I was hooked once I started writing. And that's, that's where I went after, after 20 years of sales. Wow. You were very fortunate to have a personal mentor sort of helping Absolutely. you through the process of that first yes. book. 
yeah, yeah. She pushed me and, uh, you know, she's been a friend for years and uh, she did some writing on her own. And uh, uh, I felt comfortable. And then when I was introduced to Stefan, who um, as a psychotherapist understands the mindset of, of, of crazy people, <laughs> it was kind of perfect because I was writing about serial killers and you know, I was getting into their heads and whatnot. So uh, it, it really was uh, a, a wise decision for a second career. Yeah. That's a fantastic source of information. The psychotherapist who knows about writing yes. can get yeah. in, give you that insight. That's fantastic. Yeah. What are the um, uh, I was going to ask you about the research that you do, but it sounds as if some of your research was connected with your writing coaching in a sense. Yes. And that end of it, yes, the, the writing coach would help me with the mindset of what a crazed killer was thinking and what a crazed killer would be, would be doing. Um, and in terms of police procedural, I, I read all of um, Ed McBain's 56, um, 87th Precinct. Uh, novels and uh, I, I you know I thought Steve Carella was gonna stop by for dinner I mean I got I got to know him so well him and his team and that sort of gave me an outline for uh, for a police procedural format although he wrote back in the 50s and, and things have changed and you know there's a there's a lot of uh, new electronics that are used and, and cross-references with the FBI. But I had the basics. And then I, I reached out to a retired homicide commander um, who would read what I wrote and comment on it and, and say, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And uh, you need to involve the FBI with VICAP, the violent uh, VICAP, violent um, I forget the island crime bicap. Boy, I'm stuck. I shouldn't even use the word. <laughs> I know who you, it, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it's of the, it. Yeah, it's the source that uh, the FBI keeps track of uh, violent criminals. Um, so he led me in the right direction. And so um, I had my writing coach helping with the helping me with the crazed killer and I had a retired homicide commander who helping me with the police procedural and uh, the rest was the influence of so many years of reading uh, Michael Conley and Jeffrey Deaver and uh, and uh, and uh, all others right and Thomas Harris um, and uh, Vincent Bugliosi who put together uh, with another writer he put together um, Helter Skelter. Um, that I think if if I thought back to what was the one book that I ever read in my life that sort of pulled me into writing, it was Helter Skelter. Although oh. it was true crime, the atten the attention to detail um, that these two writers made when they wrote this book, um, the adage is, you know, you pick a book up and you can't put it down. I couldn't. This thing I read probably back in the late seventies. And I was hooked. I read this thing and it was just, it fascinated me. So over the years, I was influenced by writing like that. And then the style of Jeffrey Deaver, Dean Koontz, uh, Thomas Harris, uh, Michael Connolly. Um, I, I guess it's safe to say I developed a voice 
of my own based on their voices and whatnot. So um, that's uh, that's how it worked. And, and you mentioned research before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's so important. I spent a lot of time doing research. Um, and if you if you get it wrong, uh, your readers will call you out on it. Case in point, um, I in the first book, Bone Thief, I armed my homicide um, uh, lieutenant, Lieutenant John Grispo, uh, with a with a with a gun. And uh, I, I think the the line in the manuscript said um, Driscoll released the safety on his Glock revolver. And I had eight people um, write to me uh, saying, one, Glock doesn't make a revolver, they only make pistols. And two, there's no safety on a pistol. So, okay, so uh, that went through, uh, my copy editor didn't catch it, my editor didn't catch it. And um, I was subject to to someone telling me what to do. A few people sent me, uh, links to um, to various uh, um, gun manufacturers, uh, Smith Weston and and uh, the like, um, but it 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 added it it was it was banter for a very fun conversation I had one evening. I was attending uh, Thriller Fest uh, years ago at um, the Hyatt in Manhattan. Uh, ITWs get together every year in July. And I was sitting, it's about 11 o'clock at night, and Lisa Gardner, um, a well-known, uh, multi-talented writer who's got a, a number of New York Times best-selling books out there, we're sitting, uh, enjoying a cocktail. And I was telling her the story of my, my, uh, my mistake there. And she said, you only had eight people, right? I had 32. She did the same thing. So we like. <laughs> I said, well, what did you do for the second book? She said, I armed him with, an, uh, with a semi-automatic and left it at that. <laughs> and, and that's what I did. So it's important to get the research right because uh, they'll call you on it. Uh, Absolutely. I, and, they, and they get very specific, those that have knowledge of certain things. For example, in Bone Thief, again, the first book, um, I, I had a scene on a sailboat. And um, it was a, I believe a 38 foot sailboat. It was a sizable sailboat. And the Lieutenant was wrestling with the, uh, with the perpetrator toward the end of the book. And uh, before he got there though, he arrived by helicopter and he leapt from the helicopter and landed on the, the deck and rolled. And this fellow took issue with it. He said, he said, you have a 38 foot sailboat, which means the keel on that boat is so many feet in the water, which means the mast on that boat is so many feet high. And for an helicopter to be safe above that mast, he has to be X amount up. And there's no way he would have jumped without breaking his leg. So he he did the math on it. So you got to get it right. That that was very important. Yeah, that is so true. And um, it's so important to talk to actual people too. That's another thing you just for saying uh, you spoke to a person yes a lot of times I, I think some writers don't take that extra step and actually pick up the phone mm. or just talk to a person yeah which is so important sometimes I reached um, out, I reached yeah. out to a medical team in the in the second book um 
the screaming room, I had a, uh, a set of twins. Uh, they were a boy girl set of twins and I wanted to make them unique. And I discovered uh, that um, there is one in 300 million chance of, of uh, male female twins have, having something at birth called the Turner syndrome. And it has to do with the, their chromosomes. And if they are, if they do have the Turner syndrome, uh, and it's extremely rare, their DNA, even though they're male female, their DNA would be identical. Perfect, because I set a, a scene where they discover uh, DNA and uh, it matches, and they assume that it's one individual when in fact it isn't. And I, I, I had to get that right. I mean, I did research online and got the details, but I remember calling someone um, that specialized in that. And uh, we had a conversation on the phone about it and she gave me <laughs> mountains of information about it. So I, so I got it right. Wow, that's very mm -hmm. interesting. A very interesting issue too. Yeah, um, thank you. Are you working on the fourth book now? I am, and I've, I'm not certain whether or not I want to bring Lieutenant Driscoll in this one. Um, it, it, when you write a series, I find, I mean, uh, Steve Carella lasted for 56 books, and, uh, and, and in each one of them, there was a, a difference. You could tell that there was a difference, and, and every time I introduce Driscoll in, well, when I did in the second book, in the third book, I had to go back to the first book to see how I introduced him and then bring him in again uh, with a similar introduction, but not identical. Um, I'm not sure I want to at this point go with number four. Uh, so the theme that's um, the basis of my, of my fourth book has to do with a, a serial killer who wishes to confess um, to a writer and have a writer write his life story while he's still killing with a threat, of course, that, you know, if he doesn't, um, some very bad things would happen to him, his wife. And um, yeah, so, so I've got, I've got a, uh, pretty much a, a, a first draft of that written. And you know he can't go to the police. Um, he ends up going to a he ends up going to a priest, and because um, he's you know he's hearing this confession, if you will, and it has to do with actual murder. And um, the priest links him with uh, the FBI. I diver I sort of went away from the NYPD because we got serial killing, and it's on a mass scale. It's it's various states. So I brought in the FBI and we'll see how I do, we do with that one. I've got a friend who's, who, who is active in the FBI. So I've got a link there. Boy, you have some contacts. <laughs> Remind me to call you if I ever write something about serial killers or any of this. Wow, this is incredible. Um, yeah, uh, so I was going to say, what is it that you think draws people to reading about this kind of thing because there's a lot of interest in true crime and serial yes. killers yeah it's uh, it's it's controlled fright 
you know, I, I you know, you you hear about a serial killer. You 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 read about the I think it's the Lido Beach, um, the the not the Lido Beach. There's a beach on Long Island where they keep finding bodies and they still haven't discovered who the killer is. They have no idea. Um, in in southern uh, southern Long Island, southern Nassau County, um, and they think they know who it might be. He had he seems to uh, have a penchant for. Uh, women uh, of the of the evening and, and and women that he meets at clubs, but he or she, I'm assuming it's a he, he or she, hasn't hasn't been revealed yet, and um, th that's a fascination. Uh, you you take a look at Thomas Harris's wonderfully written book, The Silence of the Lambs, which was made into an incredible movie with Denzel Washington, um, and it's just fascinating, and it. It captures the attention of people in a safe way. They get to sit either on their couch and watch it on television, or they, they get to sit, you know, under the covers and read it in, in, a, in, a, in a book. Uh, and that's, that's close enough to being with a serial killer. But it is, it's a fascination, I think, that people have. Uh, murder has been uh, the subject of writing I mean, look, look at all of the murder that uh, was in Shakespeare's works. Um, it's just, it's something that happens that you hope never affects you personally, but it fascinates people. And, and that's the drawer, I think. Um, yeah, so that's why I enjoy writing it because I know there's an audience for it. And there's something, there's something about the pursuit and, 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 and bringing that individual to justice that I like to do. Um, and, and I chose writing a thriller as opposed to writing a mystery. The genres are similar, but different. Um, mystery, you, you sort of, you, you've, got a, you've got a crime, uh, whether it be a, a murder or a, a robbery or a, a kidnapping. And you know who the victim is and you know where it happened and when it happened, but you have no idea who did it. And along the way, there's a lot of red herrings and, and the reader is kept in, kept interested because they're, they're following these red herrings and they're getting an idea as to who it might be. And at the end of the book, they may be surprised or they may say, ah, I knew it was so-and-so. Um, that's, that's one way of writing, but with a thriller, it's, reverse you you open with with the murder you know who it is and and the question is will this person be caught will this person be brought to justice and 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 how so that's why i like a thriller as opposed to a, writing a thriller as opposed to writing uh, a police procedural or or a mystery is because I, I i like to grab the reader's attention uh in the first chapter and it's my way of sort of inviting that reader onto a roller coaster of sorts. And then the idea is to never let them off the roller coaster. Just keep that book going until the very end where they're catapulted. Wow, that's, that's why I like writing a thriller. The thriller is more like a roller coaster, whereas the mystery is more like a fun house where <laughs> yeah. you can't quite make out what the real yes. truth is. Yes, yes, yes. But I like to grab the reader, keep that reader's attention, and uh, 
never never let that attention go. That's cool. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's see. Your protagonist, uh, the lieutenant there, John Driscoll, has right. some baggage of his own. He does. Uh, he's a he's an Irish um, cop. Uh, I'm an Irishman, and um, I remember when I decided to to create him. Um, I and, and with all of the characters that I that I create, I sort of think about a, a an actor or movie star, if you will, uh, that I know that people know who would recognize that would emulate my character. And at the time, um, Brian Dennehy was a uh, a big name, and he was a homicide commander in many TV shows and movies, and he was. Driscoll. In my mind, he was Driscoll. Um, so uh, the attributes I gave him sort of were attributes that I thought would fit uh, Brian Dennehy. In fact, I met Brian Dennehy after a, a, a Broadway show he did. Uh, he did uh, a show many years ago set in Ireland. And um, he's at the stage door. I got to meet him and I told him that I was working on a manuscript and I'd like him to be the star and he said well have your people speak to my people it, it never <laughs> happened but but that's um that's where that's how i decide the the character and in driscoll's circumstance um i wanted to give him um a sadness in his life um i wanted to have the reader feel sorry for this guy. And uh, so I, I opened with the, with the scene, uh, first time I introduced him, he's at, he's at the um, cemetery and uh, he's bidding farewell to his 14 year old daughter. We lost in an automobile accident, uh, trunk, a drunk driver driving a, a tractor trailer hit the van that his wife and daughter were in and uh, catapulted his wife into a coma, coma which she never recovers from, and it takes away his daughter. So he's, and he's now, he's conflicted. He's got a wife who's in a coma, who's at home, that he has a, a nurse taken care of by day, but he, but he comes and, and has dinner with in the evening. And he's, it gives him, um, he's full, he's, he's, you, you really feel sorry for him and you get to like him a lot. And now he's got this challenge to go out and, you know, chase down the bad guys. So that's, that was the, that's the basis for John Driscoll. And the name itself, I remember when I was a, I was a kid, I was 15, 16, I was working in a butcher shop in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And uh, we had a number of uh, customers who would come in. And this one fellow came in. His name was Driscoll. I don't remember his first name, but he was a retired detective. And he just looked the part. You know, he, he had the, that raincoat. He was big and strong. He was the guy. So the name Driscoll stuck with me for many years. And then when I saw Brian Dennehy as Driscoll, it just all gelled. Wow. That is really cool. Um, very, very interesting. Thank you. Um, where can people find your work online and where are you online? My website is thomasocallahan.com. 
my books are on Amazon. The first two books, Bone Thief and The Screaming Room, were published by Kensington Books uh, in New York uh, in 2006 and 2007. And I took sort of a break from my writing and came out with the third book, um, No One Will Hear Your Screams, which was released last year by uh, Wild Blue Press. And they then uh, put out the second edition of Bone Thief and the Screaming Room. So if you, if you Googled any of those titles or if you went online for thomasocallahan.com, uh, you'd have my website and you'd find the books. And the, the third book is actually now out in, as an audible. And I, I've listened to it. I, 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 I wanted to proof it. I listened to it and the guy does a good job. I, I would have liked to have done it, but I don't know if I've got the voice for it, <laughs> but he certainly does and he, he did a good job. So if someone was looking to purchase my, my books, uh, one, two, three, or the package, that, that's where they go. And, and, and of course, they're on Amazon and Kindle. Well, you used to do acting, so you could always try voice acting. This is true, yeah. <laughs> Just I don't, think I, I don't think I've ever stopped acting. I mean, in some, to some degree, life calls for me to perform in some sense. So uh, it's never left me, my, my acting. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Um, Thank you. I used to think about going into acting also. Um, mm. I, there... I, decided, I decided not to when I realized that that no money in it at all <laughs> unless you you know one in a one in a hundred thousand shot at uh, you know latching on to something there was really no money so i left college and went into uh industry uh, insurance industry hmm. interesting i ended up going to law school which you didn't do no i didn't um, <laughs> but it helped me in various ways so that's cool very good um, Probably your background in insurance did too, for that matter. You know why my background in insurance did? Because it took me 12 years to get my first and second book published. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of rejection and a lot of time spent on, on submitting uh, manuscripts to literary agents who then submitted to publishers. And you're, de you're dealing with a lot of people saying, no, thank you. Uh, it's not right for me. It won't fit my list. And when I was in sales, I, I realized and I learned that every time I heard someone saying, no, thank you, I was closer to a yes, please. So my sales career gave me the, uh, the initiative and the gumption to just keep going. Anytime um, I got a manuscript back um, and uh, it was, um, uh, you know, I read it, it needs some work or no thank you, or uh, I think you need a, 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 a professional editor to look at this. Um, and when I started looking for a publisher, I, I knew I needed to go through uh, a literary agent because in, in fiction, the publishing companies, the small press maybe, but the, the major companies, they wanted to go through a uh, literary agent. So they filter it that way. And um, I, this was back in like 98, I guess, uh, the, the, the way to do it, it certainly wasn't online like you can now. It was 
by uh, by mail. And I went down to Barnes and Nobles and I bought this thick book, uh, a list of literary agents um, in the United States. And I went through the book and found out which ones liked to read thrillers. And I mailed a query letter with sample chapters to what amounted to about 200 agents after, after the uh, two or three year process. And, and a few of them, um, said, I like it, but I think it needs work. You, you may want to consider a, a, uh, a professional. And of course, I was swallowing my pride and saying, well, I, you know, I'm just going to ask somebody else. But after I ran out of agents and I, you know, I said, oh, I can't start over again. I took the advice of those individuals that said I needed a book doctor, a professional to, to, to read my work and to help me with it. And I went online and I searched for individual uh, editors that would review and work with me on, on, a, on a thriller. And I saw a series of names. I, I, I didn't know them, but one name popped out because he, he had, a, uh, had a pretty good um, background. His name is Dick Marrick. And... Um, the reason he popped out as like, oh yeah, this is the guy to talk to, is he was the editor who helped Thomas Harris put together The Silence of the Lambs. Dick Marrick edited uh, nine of Robert Ludlum's books. So, so I said, this is the guy. But I said, he's never gonna read my work. And I, I called him, he lived in Connecticut. He's, he, he, we lost him about a year and a half ago, sadly. He, he became a good friend of mine. Um, but he, um, I called him because his phone was, the number was there, it was an email and he answered and I explained who I was and what I had and, and could he help me? And interestingly, I figured he was gonna ask me all about the book and he didn't. He said, who did you submit it to and what did they say? So he was, he was gonna screen my work and I'm savvy enough to know some of the bigger names of big agents so I used those names and I said, this is what so-and-so said, you know, he, he, you know, he reps John Deaver uh, or Jeff Deaver. Um, so I picked out the bigger names, who I had written to, who gave me some pointers. And I said, this is what was told to me by these individuals. And he said, well, I think we could work on it and um, work together. And I submitted a 400 page typed manuscript and uh, about three or four months later, he sent it back to me with a slew of agents, a lot of a slew of edits, a lot of big X's on several pages. And uh, I mean, he watched every comma and every pronunciation and just syntax. He was just masterful. And um, he said, it's probably going to take you about a year to do these edits. And I thought a year, I'll knock it off in three months. It took me 14 months to do exactly what he called for. And once I did, I sent it back to him. He read it. He said, I think we're ready. And he gave me the name of an agent, Matt Biala, at, um, in Manhattan here, a literary agent. I sent it to, to Matt with uh, Dick Marrick's um, incentive. And um, he, he sent it out to 12 uh, publishers. And 11 said no, but one said yes, Kensington Books. Well, and it takes one. All it takes is one, yeah. 
So they published uh, those two books and um, that's how it worked. Wow, that yeah. is absolutely fantastic. I know what yeah. it's like to get those rejections, although yeah. I never got the comments. It's great that mm. they were commenting. Yeah. Um, usually it was just a scribbled, no thank you, yeah. or no, thank not for you. us. Yeah. <laughs> or no response. I was at the point where, you know, they were so busy that they couldn't really give you a personal response. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were so overwhelmed with manuscripts, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so I never held that against them, actually, although it yeah, felt yeah. kind of bad, but, you know, yeah. still, even I can so. Remember, I can remember getting a, a manuscript back, and once you get the box back, um, you knew it was a no, and it came, <laughs> back, it came back on a Friday, and my wife hid it because she didn't want my weekend to be ruined. She hid the box and gave it to me on Monday. I remember that. So, but Oh, my gosh. I persevered. Well, yeah, persevere. Mm. Um, I'm going to have to wrap up here, but is there anything you'd like to add before we finish? No, I just I appreciate the time spent with you. Um, I, I like your vitality. I like your personality. And this was a, a very nice uh, exchange. I enjoyed it very much. Cool. Well, I enjoyed it, too. It was fascinating to talk to you. And um, I really do appreciate your being here and talking to us today. Thank you very so, much. Sure thing. Um, I just want to add to uh, just in closing that uh, we are Patreon supported. I will include a link to, to Patreon below this video and on the blog post where the uh, um, where the podcast is being run. And right. I will also include a link to my fundraising team. Okay. I'm raising funds for research on dystonia. And okay. you can read more about that on my blog. Okay. And um, I'll just say thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, I'll be back thank in two you. weeks with another author. Okay. And in the meantime, take care and happy reading. <laughs>